Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. I have been talking to us about this Oculus Prime truth of his anointing, and I've been spending a lot of time on it, right? Right? And I believe that um, as we keep unpacking more and more about the truth of how God sees us, then he begins to activate us. Does anybody know what activation is? Anybody ever made bread, homemade bread? Anybody ever made homemade bread? Anybody, anybody? There's this thing in bread called yeast. It doesn't take a lot of yeast, but what does yeast do? Why do you want risen bread? Otherwise, you're having non. That's just the truth of the matter. You're just going to have a non if you don't have any yeast, right? Does anybody have non bread? It's not that delicious, fluffy roll that Lynn makes. How many recipes do you think I send you a day? Anyway, um, we're on the verge of making some new chocolate chip cookies. So I know, I know, I know. Just wait till we roll those out. Um, but. Our life is our lives are spent, in my opinion, trying to find the yeast of the supernatural. Because you're not meant to be a flat o unemotional piece of non. Now I make non pizzas and they're good, but they're just not that fluffy roll that we get to have at Thanksgiving time. Right? And so don't you want to be delectable? I mean, y'all, they're dead over there. Don't you want to be delectable? Ah, See, this is my group over here. I'm going to give y'all one more try. I'm coming back. Don't you want to be delectable? All right. I don't know. Especially my three front rollers here. But I want to be so tasty to the world that I give God an amazing name. You know, the Bible says that we are meant to be billboards. I want to be one of those digital ones. Don't you? That changes colors and lights up and you can see it from a distance. I want my life to be ignited to look like God. I mean, God's the creator of a bunch of stuff. Don't you, don't you, wouldn't you hate to be God in this whole time he's been blamed for earthquakes? And the whole time he's in this still small voice. Wouldn't you hate to be God and be blamed for death and mayhem that you never caused? And sickness. All the stuff that he actually cut off from humanity, we're still blaming him for it. Instead of being instigators of repairing it and fixing it. Remember my life verse is in Isaiah 58 and it says you'll be called the Repairers of what? The breach. What's the breach? What's a breach? Does anybody know? It's a, something broken. So the, the knowledge of God is broken. If not, I mean, theology is bad. Just turn on YouTube and look at what they're saying. It's just scary. And 
And so I want us to actually enjoy the process of the journey of maturing. And part of that is realizing that everybody's a different part. Do you remember back in the days where you wanted to be the I? Whatever you saw that you thought was cool, did you remember that you wanted to be like it? Anybody, just me, had that? And when you realized you couldn't be that, how'd that feel? Yes, that was womp, womp, womp. But see, God designed you so, I just love when we embrace the fact that God designed us so perfectly on purpose for something, not for nothing. And there's a journey to be able to discover it and then, like I said Sunday, to actually steward it or actually manage it or actually oversee it, watch over it. God trusted humanity so much that he gave us the ability to make other human beings. The thing that he created out of dust, he gave it to you. We're one of the seven things he created in his masterpiece design. Everything else he spoke... but not humanity. He scooped it out of the circle. But he did this one thing that he didn't do with anybody else. He, he breathed on it and he multiplied it out of each other. <laughs> and so, I don't need to preach on that, right? Are, are you with me? So, so think about when I change my mind about my reason for being here, it is surely not to be a survivor. It is actually meant to take territory and make something out of it. Every time you step into the promised land, there's a giant waiting you. And that giant has a voice. And if you have a friend you know, interesting, when the children of Israel came to the promised land, God identified Caleb and Joshua as the ones that what? Remember what Caleb was? He's a guy with a different spirit. I call that spirit courageous. It wasn't different like weird. It was like different like get out of my way, giant. Because what did they say? God's with us. The other ten, who knows who they are? They were called the cause of wondering. And see, when you step into the promised land, you have two voices, the wanderers and the giant killers. Thank you, Kay. And so it just depends on what you want to be. And so I, I'm going to be a Joshua and Caleb. I am a Joshua. And so... When I see the giants, they're meant to be cleared. David demonstrated how to do that, a slingshot and a rock. Do you see how the demonstration of everything we need is right there in the Word? And so part of the reason to clear the promised land of giants is so that the gifts within me, that the Holy Spirit so 
perfectly orchestrates with humanity on the planet so it has room to be activated. And see, the cool thing about God is that he establishes order through the thing that refines us. So see, our little family, whatever supernatural family you join up with, they have the possibility of refining you. That's called maturity. Or, or not. See, when I, when I have a conversation with somebody, I think I sent that out yesterday. What was it that Doc said? Let's look at it real quick. I love that line. She said, when someone gives you hard feedback, it's helpful. Turn to your neighbor and say it's really helpful. To recognize it's not an attack on your identity. It's not an attack on your identity. What's your identity? What's your identity? What is your identity? Who knows it's a daughter or a son of God? Great. Then it's not about that. It's not about that. We're not trying to figure that out. Don't you see the counterfeit in the world? It's not about that. It's information that, what did she say, makes you the best version of you. Now, on Monday night, we talked about personalities again, and I answered a bunch of questions. And, uh, you know, I love to trigger people. It's one of my very, honestly, I can't lie. I can't lie. It's really one of my favorite things. Because what's it doing? It's identifying a place in you that is what? It's underneath a lie. That's why we get defensive. Don't call it something else. You're just defensive because you're protecting a lie of smallness. And someone came by and went, What are you doing? What are you doing? Acting so small, right? And so why is it that God spends all of his time after you come to know Jesus renewing your mind? It's under something. What Has anyone had any mind renewal happen in here? That's great. Name something that you've had your mind changed on that when you came here you were messed up about. Self-worth. Love that one. Why is it so important to know what we're worth? Oh, I even think I have a scripture about that. Hold on. Let me see if I do. I'm going to bring it if I can. I don't know if I do, but I'm looking. Just give me a second. I have so many. Yes, I do. Romans 12, this is what it says. Now, here's the interesting part. In Romans, Paul had to talk to people who were really thought a lot of themselves. We have that so much, don't we, here? <laughs> How many can be honest that you, I don't know if you want to raise your hand. Do you want to? Okay. Struggle with pride. Beautiful. Here's what it says. I'm going to give you a warning about pride. That's what Paul said. I would ask you, don't you like, I mean, Paul's a cleric. I'd be like, no, we're not asking. This is, come on. I would ask you, each of you, to be emptied of self. Self-promotion. 
What is self-promotion? You're so afraid nobody's going to be thinking about you, and you were probably raised in a house where no one thought about you. How many were raised in a house where you can honestly say no one thought that anything about you? Watch out. So what do we do? The counterfeit to that is self-promotion. No one's going to think about me the way I need them to, so I have to. Can you can you admit? Great. We could go somewhere with our admit. Not create a false image of your importance. Why? Because it's a God. But it said instead... Honestly assess your worth by using your God-given faith as the standard of measurement, and then you will see your true value with an appropriate self-esteem. What am I using? God-given faith. You didn't even get it from somewhere. It didn't, you didn't go to some shelf or some store and poke, get, get, pay for it. God gave you the faith you need to use it as the measurement standard. Who has the standard? So see, for me, I don't want to be more than God said I was, but I don't want to be less And he says. Where are you at on that? I mean, are you like over here thinking, I'm the cat's meow? I don't even like it. Don't tell Cheryl, though. Or are you thinking I'm the scum of the earth? Everybody hates me. Both are pride. Both are pride. <laughs> Let me say it again. Both are pride. Now, right now, you're either defensive or you're embracing that. I just embrace it because we're going to come right back here to this same point another day. Because we can't move anywhere until we get this right. This thing of true value has to be right. Why? Yeah. Because as a daughter, everything comes from a good, good father. I'm lacking nothing because he lacks nothing. So anywhere where I feel lack, I don't know my true value. Don't call it something else. You can't fix something else. You can only fix it when you call it what it is. Both are pride. <laughs> so see that that whole false humility thing, it keeps me from using my faith. Listen, you're gonna need this. I know you might be mad at me right now, but listen, you're gonna need this because we're moving forward, we're advancing into the promised land, we're taking some things and territory that the enemy has solidified for a long time in your family generation. Any place you have a stronghold, any place that you have a lie, that means that someone passed it down to you. You can break it. And if you break it, then you'll possess the promised land and you'll kick out the giants and you'll do something with your life. And that's where the Holy Spirit loves to habitate. You know, we had this other weird, interesting thing happen in our yard. I love Cece because, you know, she's like, look at the moon. Anyway, so for days, this duck has been sitting in our yard in this one spot. Boy duck, Mallard, beautiful duck. That's a whole nother story. But anyway, it started raining. Hasn't it been raining? 
The place the duck was sitting became a tiny little pond. And then today we had ducklings. Now, see, I love to be like, I, I think that's weird, but I think that's God. What are you saying, God? And see, that is an activation for me. Because what's my goal? To make everything that God wants to do known. I don't want to miss a thing. Have you ever missed something and later on you figured out, oh, dang, that was God. Oh, my gosh, that was God. That was God. I didn't turn aside and see the burning bush. I was too busy driving 65 miles an hour down the highway to see it. I'm going to have to wave my own hanky tonight. I can tell. And so I'm telling you these stories because things are happening when God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. It's for some reason. It's not to just get a little cool taste of the Holy Spirit, although we love that. Did anybody feel the Holy Spirit while you were here today? Well, great. Ten people felt the Holy Spirit. I don't know what the rest of y'all were doing, but ten people did. It wasn't like he just picked ten. True value. And so when he begins to activate us, we need to begin to understand why. It's imperative that you begin to pay attention how the Holy Spirit speaks to you. It's different for everybody. Our first contestant is going to be Cece Mendel. Now, we love Cece. We love us some Cece. How many love you some Cece? Childlike, HSP, weird in every way possible. You talk about weirdness sustaining you. I mean, that is epitomized in her. But this is what she does that's interesting, is that she will write about stuff that she doesn't even understand with her natural mind, which so goes against her background because everything for her used to be logical. She could put it in, but she, she will even say, I'm trying to get this in. She said it to me in the green room. I don't feel like I can get this in this box. That makes her nervous because she's a highly sensitive person. She doesn't want to, she's a melon. She don't want to speak falsely. But when I read what, um, you mean bring what I when I read what she wrote today, it was just this little journey on this chapter I've been chapter I've been speaking on Romans eight. I was like, oh, that's God. God's on that. Now, see, as these people are telling you what's been activated in them over the last week or so, try to find the Holy Spirit. And does He speak to me this way? There's some people in this room that He speaks to you just like He does to her. No one, none of us have everything identical, but we can learn and glean. I want us to understand God is trying to pour out his spirit on you unto something to give you a message about something for somewhere, somehow, sometime. And you just don't know when it is. It's probably tomorrow. So that's why we don't have time to be offended. We don't have time to be like, oh, I don't know. I mean, like, gosh, compared to blah, blah, blah. I mean, blah, 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 blah. We don't have time for that. Agreed? 
So as they come, come Mendel, we're going to listen and, and I'll come back and fill in any gaps that, that inquire filling in. <laughs> awesome. It's been a good night so far, hasn't it? Awesome. Okay, well, as you said, I've just been on this journey. I was just spending time in the Word today and um, keeping in mind, you know, just kind of meditating on the things that the Holy Spirit's been talking to me about. And I came across this thing that I realized had to do with the Word of the Year and the honeycomb and the 120 and the surface tension that pulls us into the 120. And so um, that's kind of where I see this fitting. Um, but first, I want to say that one of the things that the Holy Spirit's been breathing on for me is this reality that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God actually resides within us and that we're never actually separated from the Spirit of God and that Jesus Christ himself came and inhabited our beings when we made him Lord and Savior. And so I think that when, probably it's probably true for most of us, but I know it's true for me that I came into this relationship with God thinking that there's me over here and then there's him and I wanted to do things with him and for him, but that we were separate entities. And there's this, this mysterious thing with God that only, you know, you can't quite put in a box. Like I kept trying to put it in a box, but you can't, but it's just the way God works that we are truly more unified. We're truly one being when you are, when the spirit of God comes into your life, you are resurrected into new life as one in union with Jesus. So I'm not really separate and I'm not really separate just trying to do enough or do things just the right way or mature enough in order for him to come and make his home in me. He's already made his home in me and the spirit of God has already been deposited in me. And so that's a reality that the Holy Spirit's breathing on for me of just how true that actually is. And so that impacts a lot of things. For example, for me, uh, I heard Bill Johnson talking about this um, a few weeks ago, and he was talking about how in Romans 8, where it talks about you either live according to the flesh or live according to the spirit. And I realized that I thought that even though I was, you know, saved and all of that, that I basically lived according to the flesh and I needed to try really hard to be led by the spirit. And he changed my perspective, listening to Bill, he changed my perspective on that and so basically said, in my own paraphrase, that no, your default now is to be led by the Spirit. Like, that's your default mode. You're going to be, that's how you live now. And so you actually have to do something kind of weird and out of character for you now to resist that and to live according to the flesh. And so if you look back at the verse, even in multiple different translations, it's true that that's what it says, you know, but somehow we hear it differently. <laughs> and so there's this incredible benefit to recognizing that the Holy Spirit lives in us and that Jesus has made his home in us. And that is who we are. And so realizing things like that, the spirit of God actually lives in me I, is, is very, very empowering and powerful. It changes how you handle situations and walk through life. Um, I like Bill Johnson said that um, you can never use that phrase again, that I'm only human. You know, like, well, I'm only human when somebody says you messed up or did something. Well, I'm only human. You're not. 
you are no longer only human. You have a, the spirit of God in you. So you're not only human ever, ever again. And so, you know, this is, that's great news, right? That's empowering, um, gives you a lot of hope and courage. Well, the, there was this other aspect when I was reading along in Romans 8 that I remember um, in this, this verse in Romans 8, 17, that I used to create fear in me. And it says, I'm just reading it in the Passion Translation, since we are his true children, Father God's, we qualify to share all of his treasures, for indeed we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is. Hear that, hear that in the new light before I go on. We also inherit all that he is, not just what he has, but who he is. We inherit who he is and all that he has. That's quite a win in my book, you know. It's a win-win. All he is and all he has. And then that last line, we will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. Now, that's the verse that used to trip me up a little bit because that's when you talk about, well, I've got to bear my cross. And, you know, it's like, what are you saying? Like, I've got to be willing to die on the cross and suffer like Jesus did. I have to bear his sufferings as as my own. And I think that's a lot of um, maybe the verse that a lot of martyrs, you know, used back in the day, that if you were willing to die for Christ and suffer for him, then you were really devoted. Um, but I, I love that what a lot of the a lot of the prophets have been saying for a while now that at this age in hum humanity, we it is a greater thing to actually live for Christ than die for him. Yeah. You know, there are lots of seasons in, in this whole human experience in history, but there was a time maybe when martyrs were the thing, but it, you are actually, if you would lay down your own life, die to yourself to live, that is actually the greater thing. So then how do we make sense of this verse? Because, and, and, you know, we've talked about it in different aspects, but the Holy Spirit revealed something new to me today. Now, I also have to preface this. Okay, this, these are kind of my disclaimers. Just want to frame it right for you. It's no coincidence that we just talked about condemnation and conviction. A huge, huge topic for me personally. It was a game changer for me early on in my healing journey, even before I came here to learn the difference. And so just for clarity, condemnation feels horrible. It brings a weightiness that is um, weighs you down, stops you from moving, creates fear. It's like tying, you know, bricks and cinder blocks to your feet. And it feels miserable and you feel underneath something. That's a condemning spirit. God never uses condemnation to lead you to speak to you it is 100% of the enemy it is 100% a satanic demonic attribute anything that feels that way is not of God so you cannot mix that up when God's speaking or revealing something to you now conviction on the other hand is actually invigorating it actually excites you you don't even realize that it's, it somehow mysteriously doesn't feel like such a bad thing to realize that you messed up because you're just, you're more motivated by, by the, um, the 
the, the energy within you that's released to go and do something different, to, to change your way. It's actually exciting. And in fact, I remember at one point talking with Tisa a few, it's been a few years now, but I used to say, well, I just don't feel like God ever leads me. Like he doesn't, I don't trust that he's actually leading me in my decisions. And I realized that the only reason I thought that was because his leading didn't feel bad to me. You know, I kept waiting for those painful moments to come and hit me and say, Ooh, you messed up. You better change your ways. Well, that was never happening. And I was, that was my lens, you know, that I thought it would come through condemnation. Well, it was actually enjoyable. Conviction's enjoyable. Like com- conviction feels safe and exciting. Okay. So that is what this message is for is to come through a spirit of conviction in our walk as we go forward. If you have any condemnation come in, please seek help and know that it is absolutely not God's intention. So um, back to this verse. Good disclaimer, right? It's a good one. I feel like it was it was worthwhile. So um, this back to this verse, we will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. Now, the footnote there says, or accept his feelings of pain, or accept the things he experiences. It's just by implication that it's suffering. If we suffer jointly, we will enjoy glory jointly. Now, just to go back a little up, a little previous in chapter 8, it says in verse 4, the anointed one is living his life in us. And for the, wait, sorry, I'm going to jump down here. When the Spirit of Christ empowers your life, you are not dominated by the flesh, but by the Spirit. And if you are not joined to the Spirit of the Anointed One, you are not of Him. Now Christ lives His life in you. Okay? Now Christ lives His life in you. So this, there's this picture, and it's of course all throughout Scripture, that Christ is actually living His life in you currently, right now. Now, if you... Since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. I'm not finding the verse that I wanted to read there. We'll come back to it. Okay, so this is what occurred to me. What if we've been reading this this sentence wrong? What if we've been reading that if, if you imagine Christ living within you, and what if there are things occurring that are causing him to suffer real time? Not just what he already paid for on the cross, but what if he's at, in you, there are things that are happening within you, in your choices in life that are actually grieving him, that are making him uncomfortable, okay, that are hurting his feelings, okay? There's a whole range here. And what if the emphasis isn't on that the suffering is ours to experience, but it's ours to own, our own. Like, what if it's suffering we need to take responsibility for? Like, we need to take ownership of the fact that we are in, are inflicting suffering on Jesus Christ who lives in us today. What if, I'm just going to read what I wrote here. If Christ is alive in us, living in us, during the process of our being made to be just like him, then I wonder if in a sense, he suffers when we resist his nature or struggle with allowing him to be who he is in us. 
When this verse asks us to accept his sufferings, I wonder if that could be translated to mean that we accept the awareness that our resistance in a moment is causing him to experience pain. That's that moment it comes to your attention, whether it's you know, through your own thoughts, just on your own, or if someone is speaking to you, giving you feedback on something, bringing correction, whatever that looks like. In that moment of awareness, if we accept that, that that's what's really going on, that Jesus Christ within us is being grieved. What if it means that we accept the correction, the tweaking in response to realizing that we are causing him to experience something that is against his nature? If he's trying to live his life in us, be himself in us, if the entire Godhead is working all things together to make us like him so that we are a unified being, not walking disjointed, that we are unified being, what if when we allow certain things into our into our temple, into our mindset and our choices, that are actually, it's a spirit that is, we're shoving in the face of Jesus that creates a, a type of suffering or grieving for him. If we are led by the spirit, but also have the ability to choose to follow after the cravings of our self-life and the mindset of the flesh is death, okay, the self-life is called the flesh life, and the mindset of the flesh is death, then we are essentially allowing the spirit of death to cohabitate with Christ in us. This is where the other verse I was looking for, Romans 8, 6 through 7. For the sense and reason of the flesh is death, but the mindset controlled by the spirit finds life and peace. In fact, the mindset focused on the flesh fights God's plan and refuses to submit to his direction because it cannot. So sometimes I just like the way the Holy Spirit speaks because he makes things a little bit more literal to illustrate them to us. So what if we are actually with the mind, if we give way and we say we're going to let the mindset of our self-life, a mindset of the flesh be Lord in a moment instead of the spirit of God in that moment, then we are actually introducing a fight within us. As the mindset focused on the flesh fights God's plan and refuses to submit to, to its direction. It's not a far stretch to say in those moments, we are allowing the spirit that tormented Jesus on the cross to taunt him. We could say that we are allowing that torment to be thrown in his face, reminding him of his suffering, reminding him that there are so many that still resist receiving the gift that he paid such a heavy price for. Would that not cause Christ within us to experience painful feelings? How do we feel when we're taunted by the enemy? When those that accuse us or an attempt to condemn us, how does that feel for us? You know, sometimes I think that we, we talk about God's mercy for us, but, but we appear like to often talk about having mercy for God. You know, thinking about the true, God is an emotional being he when we are made in his image so if we and the things of nature are just models of the things in the spirit so if we experience these emotions then why are who's to say that god doesn't god's not um you know just a distant god he's experienced these these things 
And so I think it's time that we maybe had a little more mercy for him and said, hey, look what I'm exposing to you. So I know I, I appreciate that your Holy Spirit empowers me every day. I'm glad that you came and, and took up my, you know, came to live in me. And I'm glad that I've got a promise to go to heaven when I die. But maybe I should care a little bit more about what I'm shoving in your face on my day to day. Because the, the truth is I'm not a separate being from Jesus. I'm not over here and on the days I decide to worship or I decide to think of him, that's not the only time he's within me. He's in me when I'm not thinking about him too. And so this gives me that conviction, like I said, to recognize those moments when we are maybe struggling within ourselves to make different choices or to submit to some difficult feedback and that kind of thing. It's just painting a picture. Again, it's not to condemn us, but it's opening our eyes to a greater reality of how that he is alive in us all the time. And we need to be living with him in mind 24-7, not just some of the time. So I was saying that um, even when we know the truth, when the enemy's attacking us, even when we know that it's lies, we're just, we're just getting bombarded, right? We're just getting our head blown off by, we have days like that. You know, there's warfare going on. And we know it's not true, but it doesn't make the experience fun. I mean, the experience is excruciating. So it, why is Jesus not experiencing that in us? Is Jesus not experienced that he knows the truth when, when we allow the spirit of death to come and taunt him in his face because we're choosing to live by the spirit of the self-life, would he not be experiencing something excruciating also? When the verse says that we accept his sufferings as our own, could it mean that we acknowledge that the suffering he's experiencing within us is ours to own? As in the suffering comes from us, what if the acceptance this verse is asking of us points to our willingness to yield in the moments we resist what the spirit of life is attempting to give us. What if acceptance means that we accept the reality that our choice is causing Christ within us pain and we take responsibility for it, choosing to turn a different way away from what pains him? Perhaps this verse speaks to our yielding to the surface tension that pulls us into the perfect design, the 120. This verse may, in fact, be speaking to the human experience of being made into the very image of Christ. Isn't that what the, the whole word of the year was? The honeycomb gets formed by the surface tension. It's just a little round circle. Remember the roundish thing? That's all it is. It is not formed into the, the form of a honeycomb. It's not formed into the the image of Christ, we are not formed into the image of Christ without those moments of surface tension. And so what if this verse is actually saying, will you accept that that's what's happening in this moment is that I'm molding you and I'm making you and I'm pulling you into my image. That changes the way that verse would read. We experience being co-glorified with him. Co-glorified meaning being like him. We experience being like him provided we accept his sufferings as our own. It's a totally different way to look at that verse. A totally different way. And so Christ within us is a greater reality than most of us have acknowledged. 
Not only do we miss the benefits of this awareness, but we also greatly underestimate the impact of our choices on this tender-hearted Savior who chose our flawed humanity as his home. May we learn to live in the truth of the spiritual reality greater and greater levels with each passing day. So this verse is not something about us experiencing this thing, this suffering we should fear that if we choose to love Jesus, we're going to have some great, terrible suffering. You know, the, the Bible does says that we will have trials in this world, but I don't think that's what this verse is talking about. I think this is talking about being joined to Christ and inheriting all that he is within us. So, Papa, I just thank you for your revelation. I thank you for all the ways that you speak. I think that thank you for your spirit of conviction, that it's actually an empowering thing to break us out of moments when we either don't know what to do or we're in a struggle within ourselves. It says that the spirit of life actually dominates the flesh life. The spirit of life actually, the spirit of God in us actually dominates. It rules over the thing within us that wants us to have our own way and to do things in our in that way of our old man who is actually dead and gone. And so I thank you that your spirit of life within us is actually leading us and empowering us to make all the choices that need to be made for us to be in live in unity with Jesus Christ within us. So we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for your message tonight. And I pray that you would make it personal for each person in the room. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life Okay. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com. 